This morning we have uh, with us guest speaker Dan Yakely, um, who is certainly a friend and a partner and a co-worker in God's kingdom with us. Um, we were talking last night, we had him over for dinner, and uh, uh, we got to know him, I think it was the year 2006, 2007, uh, when he first came here to speak to uh, to the church, to the adults, but he had already been well-connected to Pastor Otis and uh, and to the youth group, had been doing youth camps, and then God had led him to go ahead and speak to us, and he's been a wonderful friend. But I got a text last, uh, I think it was Saturday morning from Pastor Otis. The youth group was up in Tennessee. They were there at a convention and a retreat, and Dan was there with them, and uh, uh, Pastor Otis said, uh, Dan has a word from the Lord for Calvary. Uh, would that be possible for next Sunday to go ahead and, and share God's word? I prayed about it. I felt a, a release to do that, and I said, absolutely. And so Dan is going to be speaking a word from the Lord for Calvary Church here today, and I believe God has a word for many of you today personally and individually. So this morning, if you've never heard of Dan, and uh, uh, you're going to be challenged here today, and uh, I'm so excited about what God's going to be speaking to our hearts here today. Would you give a welcome to Dan Yakely here this morning? Amen. 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 I pastor a church where people talk to me, and if they don't, I make them talk to me. So, amen. I'm from Denver, Colorado, and we um, I enjoy coming here when it gets really cold in Colorado. I flew out the other morning. It was negative nine. It's pretty awesome. It's where you hunker down and become real close as a family. Um, I wanted to give you a little bit of context for this morning. I actually wasn't planning on being here. I, we had a service last night um, that I wanted to be at, at um, our Saturday night service. And uh, we were going to fly back, um, preach Friday night at the youth service, by the way. God really met the youth in a very, very powerful way. Um, kids were having just dramatic encounters with the Lord. And you could feel the room was just it was, it was filled with angels, the presence of God. Kids were just having deep encounters. Adults were having encounters with God. It was very, very powerful. Several kids got healed, eating disorders, um, just uh, depression. Several kids were delivered of suicide. It was a powerful night. felt like Pastor Otis is sitting on a major move of God in that youth group. And we have been praying for everybody that has been touched in that youth uh, by that man of God that they're going to come home. God's going to cause the sons and the daughters to return home. Amen. Also, too, I was feeling, and I'm just going to say this, for whatever reason, we, we draw a line with, with age groups. And I saw something on Friday night that God was going to bring in the young and the old and fill that room because when the presence of the Lord is when there, I've heard about youth uh, children's revivals where kids are having revival and adults are driving an hour and a half, two hours just to be in the presence of God. Not the presence of children, but the presence of God. When the presence of God comes, that is everything. God doesn't care about age. Children don't get miniature Holy Spirits. It's all one Holy Spirit, 
and he ministers to us in the way that he loves to. He loves touching hearts. He loves delivering us, and he loves pointing us to to Jesus. Amen? I was uh, in the uh, room, the hotel room, praying on, uh, I believe it was Friday morning, and uh, I was just kind of pacing the floor. I had a great cup of coffee going, and the Lord dropped this word. These scriptures that I'm about to read to and all these points dropped them really strong in my heart for Calvary. Like I said, I was not planning on being here. Just logistically, it's difficult. Um, airline stuff was difficult. Everything about it was hard. And then the fact of being away from my wife for that extended time and my little girls was hard. So I just wasn't entertaining the idea. Um, and then the Lord spoke to me about being here. And so I called up my wife and I said, Jenny, I said, I really feel strong that I am to be at Calvary. I feel a real unction in my heart that he has a word for this house. Um, what do you feel? She goes, oh, I was already praying two days ago, and the Lord spoke to me, you're going to be there preaching on Sunday morning. I'm like, well, you did. That's pretty neat, you know. And so um, she goes, I bless it. Just go. I said, I'm going to be away from you for, you know, 11 days. She goes, ah, that's good. You know, stay stay 20 days. You know. She didn't say that. I'm glad. And so uh, I continue to pray about it, and I feel like this is the word of the Lord for you. Amen. So I would like for you to hold out your hands in front of you. I want to bless you. The Lord would open up your ears to receive from him this morning. The spirit of revelation. Father, I thank you for Calvary Church. I thank you for the pivotal moment that this church is at right now. I thank you, Lord, for destined times and appointments that we have with heaven. And I thank you, Lord, that you have set your gaze and your affection towards this house. And you are about to do a great thing. Things are about to speed up. There's a shift and great transition that's coming. So, Father, I just declare over the ears of your people today, they would hear well and receive well. I declare the spirit of revelation to come reveal places and hearts today where freedom needs to break out in Jesus' name. Father, I declare the days of containment, the days of being held back, and even for some, the days of being held in prison. Today, the prison gates would would fling open and your people would begin to go free into their new season of appointment. Father, we thank you for glory to glory. Lord, you move us from one place to another. You are a season shifter. You are a God of transition. You're a God that moves us from one place to the other, and you can do it overnight. We bless your name. Amen. If you would, if you'd open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 31. I'm going to give it to you like it was given to me. And then a few stories here and there. I do know that I have a time, a time limit. Uh, last time I was here at the a service, they combined the two, and we had an altar call until like 4 p.m. And everybody, all the pastors left me. I was by myself. So I told them, nobody leaves today, all right? We can only have an altar call until 2 because I will be on that plane. I miss my family. So, amen. I don't expect we'll go that long. I'm kidding. I'd like to eat, too. i got to pack. i got to do kinds of kind of stuff, so. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 31. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The men of Israel fled before the Philistines, and they fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. The Philistines attacked Jonathan, Abinadab, and another guy, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by one of the archers. 
Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. Kings back then in war, if they were fighting against a, a, a pagan king or a vicious king, that king, it was known they would abuse prior kings and embarrass them before they killed them. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took his sword and he fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. And Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all of his men died together that great day. This was the year 1004 B.C. Saul was 72 years of age. Jonathan was 57, and David was 30. Yeah, it's, you do your math. It is said that Saul had Jonathan at 15 years of age. They started him young back then. So Saul was a considerably a, a young father in, in the sense of having a son that was 57. 30 years of age, David was. If you'll turn back with me a few verses or a few chapters here, to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Some historians believe that these two chapters are happening simultaneously at the exact time. It's known for a fact that it's happening within this 1004 B.C. because David actually went and possessed in a city called Hebron. That's where he went and he became king, was in Hebron that exact time of 1004 B.C. But many historians believe these two chapters are happening on the exact same day. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day and the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag. They attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there small and great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away, and they went their way. So David and his men came to this city, and there it was, completely burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive that day. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because of the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. The men wanted to destroy David's life. They had been faithful with David. They had been wandering in caves. By the way, David was 15 years of age when he received the anointing oil from Samuel and in that same year took Goliath's head off. He was 15 years old. 15 years later, after a promise was given to him, David is at a point of transition. I'm here to make a pronouncement to you today, and I want to read it to you exactly what my Webster's declares it as. You ready for this? It's just good. 
Lord spoke to me, go make a pronouncement. Hang on, it erased my word. You all right? You still anointed? Now my fingers won't work. They make these phones so big and you still can't type on them. The Lord spoke to me today, I want you to go and declare this as a pronouncement, an official public statement, a formal declaration, an authoritative announcement. Who in here is part of Calvary Church? As a body, as a church, and as a house, you and everybody here this morning, this may be your first time, second time here, you may be a visitor, you're not here by chance. God wants you to know something. He is about to transition you. That's really good news. And I'm going to do my best in the time that we have to break down what transition looks like and why God wants to transition you. And when God transitioned an entire house, he begins to transition people because you are the house and the house is you. And God wants to take Calvary Church and take it to the next level. I want to talk to you this morning about the concerns with transition, how the enemy wants to come in during times of transition, and what we need to do when we're about to transition to receive transition. It's a good word. You ready? I told you you got to talk to me. The morning groups, you can be the radical group, right? <clears throat> so ever put your right hand up in the air? Start shaking it and go, hey, pull it down. I'm seriously, I need you to talk to me because if you could see the way you're looking at me, you wouldn't want to preach to you, all right? I need you to smile. I need you to be engaged. We're going to have fun this morning. This is a very good word of the Lord. Amen. It's a timely word. It's a word that we need because the Lord is coming today to bring you into a new place. Amen. He wants to come and bring you into a new place. Understanding how Abba thinks. Jesus called him Abba. It's an affectionate term for father. I was just in Israel a few months ago, and I was in the restroom washing my hands, and a little Hebrew boy ran in and goes, Abba, Abba, help me wash my hands, Abba. And it just touched my heart, and the Lord said, that's what Jesus called the father was Abba. This affectionate term. Servants could never call the father of the house Abba. It was only meant for sons and daughters. Jesus was showing us, this is how amazing the Father is. I call him Abba, Father. So Abba today, Father, is going to bring breakthrough. He wants to, this is, this is a fantastic word. He reminds you, I didn't have to be here today. I was supposed to be home, and God delayed my schedule so you could get a word this morning to encourage you. Who could use a good dose of encouragement? Who could use a cup of fresh water? Who could use a word saying, hey, you are stuck in a dark season and God's about to bring you out. His ways are higher than our ways. Always. And he wants to do a great work this morning. So David, this, the word of Samuel that was spoken over him about becoming king was happening on the very day that King Saul was breathing his last breath. The transition came in a moment where his men wanted to stone him. They became offended. They wanted to strike against him. I want you to know sometimes that transition comes in great 
trial. It's difficult. When, when people are transitioning, when churches are transitioning, people can begin to rise up and become offended. I, I run with a, a group of people, and, and it's like we, we really lean into having covenant hearts together to be one. And when you're, when you're transitioning, well, you can really feel the enemy trying to work on hearts to create offense, frustration, husbands and wives when they're about to transition, when new jobs are coming, there's an offense that comes, attacks, accusations, when we're about to come into a new city, there's, there's, there's attack on these things because the enemy, what does he want to do? He wants to bring delay. He wants to get us offended. He wants to cause us to become unsensitive to the moving of God and get stuck. One thing you'll know about the prophetic, this is a prophetic word, and when God prophesies transition, it's not something that you just say, you know what, I'm going to stick that on the shelf. It's something that God says, I'm giving you a word. Now we're going to co-labor this word together. You know, so many people say, well, they gave us a word. Let's just see if that comes about. That's Old Testament. That's stuff that was given by a prophet where in the New Testament it's a different kind of prophetic. Back then, God would come upon one man, wreck that man's life. Some of those prophets hated their existence. What they spoke was God's direct word, and it always happened that way regardless. In the New Testament, Emmanuel, God is with us. We all have his presence. He lives and dwells on the inside of us. And now when he comes and gives you a word, he wants to partner with you. He is a God that wants to be with you, partner with you. And he doesn't just say, I'm going to give you a word. Now go and sit down and, and watch it come about. No, he says, stand up and watch it begin to come through your speech and how you agree with me and how you begin to actively pray and begin to declare it in. And God says, you're going to declare things you don't even see with your natural eye. I'm going to tell you things that seem absurd because in the natural realm, there's, you're the farthest away from what God just told you, but he's saying, you know, I don't want you to look at the natural. I want you to do what I told you and decree what I said you can have. David in the natural had just lost his position as king. In the natural, his men wanted to kill him. In the natural, he was the farthest away from a throne. But he knew God said, I have anointed you king, and you will rule over all of the house of Israel. Not over one tribe of Judah. Son, you will inherit all of them. He was a man, he understood promise. When God gives you a word, I'm about to deliver you. I'm about to break you in. I'm about to give you a new job. I'm about to heal your marriage. I'm about to give you a new anointing. I'm about to give you a new ministry. I'm about to move you to a different city. I'm about to bless you in that work. I'm about to give you something new. Now, understand something about promotions. God loves to promote his people for his kingdom agenda. God loves giving you more influence, not just so you could have more influence, but so you could bring the kingdom of God to that realm of influence. Some people right now, you've had a word about a marriage being restored, and the, your marriage is the worst that it's ever been before. And you throw your hands up, and you just say, you know what, I'm tired of these false prophetic words. No, it wasn't a false prophetic word. You're not discerning your part of agreement of standing when it looks bleak and horrible and miserable and say, no, God said this. And I'm standing right here, and I refuse to get into a realm of offense, bitterness, frustration, I will be in the realm of faith. God, you said it. 
You told me you are faithful. You see into tomorrow, and I don't. So evidently, Lord, I, you know something that I don't, so I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to agree with you. I started getting prophetic words about our church. We were a house church. All these seasons of transition in my life when I was a youth pastor, and, and I, I love being a youth pastor. God says, I want you to step out of this in 2006, and I want you to travel, and I want you to preach. And, and then he doesn't tell you all the details because if he told you all the details, you wouldn't step out and do this stuff because he wants, he at the end of the day, he wants you and I to know that he is God and that he is faithful and he's the one that writes the check and he's the one that opens the door and he's the one that funds his kingdom and he's the one that does these things. He wants at the end of the day to know that your wisdom is foolishness to him. Some people are stuck in a season when God said, I want you to move out because your wisdom kicked in going, wait a minute, I need to get debt free before I do this. Who told you that? Your debt free check is in the next season. I want to tell you something. It's not hard for God to get you money. It's not hard for God to get you breakthrough. It is not hard for God to send an angel down into a bedroom and rock an unsaved man. You just get an unsaved guy, one encounter with Gabriel, that brother will be at the altar. For real. All it takes is one breaking in of heaven into a difficult situation, and everything turns just like that. Everything. I want to remind you also, I feel like I need to say this, that God has no equals, and God truly does not have an enemy. Lucifer is not his enemy. To have an enemy means you have to have somebody that is equally evil as you are on the other side. Does, did I make sense or I just confused you? I don't think I said that the way I wanted to say it. Basically this, Lucifer is a created being. God is uncreated. God has no enemies. Yes, Lucifer is evil, but he's a created evil person. God is uncreated and perfect in all of his ways. Nothing compares to his might, his majesty, and his power. And fallen Lucifer is your enemy, not God's. And God says, I will set myself against your enemies. God does not have an enemy. He doesn't have a co-equal that's in darkness. He's God. He's powerful. And any moment, he could write this earth into and put it back into perfect place, which he will do in the millennial reign of his son. Amen. But for right now, he wants to give you promotion and put you in a certain business place or into a certain ministry or to a new ministry assignment because he wants you to bring his kingdom and to enjoy doing it. And there will be op, uh, pressure coming against you during transition. Sometimes the, the pressure is in the area of sorrow. David's heart began to sorrow greatly. It comes in times of great offense. But the Bible says that David strengthened himself. Theologians believe that Psalm 25 was written at this exact time. For the sake of time, I can't read that. But it is a strengthening psalm. David knew God enough, and he remembered the promises of what Samuel laid hands on him, and he was a lover of God. And he knew, Lord, this is dark and this is bad, but I do know this, you are faithful. And I, it's like he knew that scripture that Paul was going to write, he who begun a good work in me will be faithful to complete that good work. It says that David went away, he strengthened himself, 
he wrote Psalm 25. He began to pray Psalm 25, began to lift up his voice, and before long, the anointing of God came on him and refreshed his soul. He stood up and he said this, we will get back everything that's been taken from us. And in the midst of this opposition, they go and they raid the Amalekites and steal all the Amalekite stuff. So they get all their wives back, their children back, all their animals back, and come back, and they have a ton of wealth with them. So what looked to be opposition turned out to be a great blessing. And then David finds out in this exact moment that his king has just died. In the most trial of his day, at this very moment, we thought he was going to lose his life. God turns it around with his confession, and then he finds out, I have just inherited the kingdom. But God said, I'm not sending you all the way into the kingdom quite yet. I'm going to send you into Hebron, a place of rest. For seven years, David, I'm going to build you, and I'm going to restore you. I'm going to give you back your vision. I'm going to give you back life. I'm going to let you see again. Because sometimes when we had favor in one season, and then God takes us through wilderness and through trials and through caves, the main purpose of that is to get you and I to a place of humility. Because God loves humility. You look at all the paganism in the Old Testament. You look at the paganism of King Nebuchadnezzar. He was an absolute pagan. He destroyed Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple. He stole all the wealth out of the temple and put it in his pagan deity places for the places of worship. And the Bible says, and God stood with him until he lifted up his head and operated out of pride, and then God resisted him. The Bible says that God resists the proud gives grace to the humble. God hates pride. And so he takes great people, great leaders of tremendous value, worth, and anointing and runs them through knot holes backwards. Because at the end of the day, he wants to see the essence of humility coming from you. There's something about humility that attracts him and makes him want to fight for you, promote you, and bless you. Who in here has been through the trials of a lifetime? Who's, who's been through wildernesses and who's been through brokenness? Welcome to the, to the time of God of humility and tenderness. Never lose that. Don't ever lose humility. You, just, you stop talking to me. I know how it is with you guys. When it gets real good, you just stop talking, right? I'll just believe that. Transition happens like this in the midst of one season, 2 Kings chapter 6, for the sake of time, I'm just going to quickly narrate it. Samaria is being besieged by the Syrians. Elisha, the prophet, is on the scene. A king has just heard the terrible plight of a woman who just boiled her son and ate her son because there was no food in Samaria. Because the, the entire city was shut up because the Syrians were invading and there could be no food going in and people were starving to death and they began to cook and eat their children. And a woman was standing before the king of Samaria and she said, you know, just yesterday we, <coughs> we, boiled, <coughs> excuse me, we boiled my son. Early morning, lack of sleep. We boiled my son. We ate him and then... 
My neighbor said that today we would boil and eat her son, but she has hidden him. And she said, this is not fair. Well, the king hears this horrible report. He becomes greatly offended, and he goes to kill (coughs) Elisha. Elisha stands up, this horrible situation, and makes a pronouncement. At this time tomorrow, everything changes. He said the city is going to shift, everything will be righted, and great, uh, you know, uh, wheat will be sold for this, and there's basically prosperity and food coming back into the city. It was impossible. And the king's right-hand man, I believe it was the captain, mocked him and scorned him. And Elisha said, you will not look upon this because you have doubt in your heart. The people were like, how is this possible that something so bad, so, so much depression, the entire enemy is outside the walls. They are pressing against us with one heart to destroy us and to take our city. How can by this time tomorrow everything change? We had a prophet approach my wife, and we had our first baby girl doing great, but our second one, we could not get pregnant for a couple of years. We tried and tried and tried, and my wife was feeling very heavy-hearted about this, and there was an altar call where a friend of mine was preaching. He's very prophetic, and he began, he said, I want to give an altar call for those that are barren, and my wife was like, man, I'm not barren. I have a baby, but I can't get pregnant, and he runs down to her when she responded. He says, by this time... Next year. And it happened. God said, by this time tomorrow, everything will change. Well, fast forward. Four lepers are sitting on the walls of the city. And they're depressed. There's nothing. There's no food. There's nothing for them. And they say this. Well, we can't go back into the city because there's famine. If we sit here, we're surely going to die. So we've only got one chance. Let's go and present ourselves to the Syrians and see what happens. That's something about transition, that God will get you to a place that this past thing, there is nothing back here anymore for you. So there's some people in this church are about to leave your past because your past is filled with darkness, despair, and famine. I remember my mom came to an altar call when I was a youth pastor several years ago. My mom had a hard life growing up. She said three or four times in a week that her dad would walk up to her with a shotgun in his hand and point it in her face and say, I'm going to blow your head off, Linda. And he would sit all the little girls down, four little girls. My mom's a beautiful woman, and our other sisters are, are just absolutely phenomenal ladies. And he'd walk up to them and say, you're worthless. Every one of you girls is worthless. And point this gun in their face. Well, how my mom coped with this She became an alcoholic. And my beautiful mom, who could have been a runaway model, turned to to alcohol to try to calm her heart, to, to try to deal with the pain of her past. She almost died three times from blood alcohol poisoning. She gave me up to my dad when I was one year of age because she knew that she did not have the ability to raise me. And she left, and she lived a hard life hard life. She shows up one year when I'm youth pastoring and sitting right here to my right, and it was all wooden pews in this church I was at, and I preached, and my mom came forward and she said, Danny, I need to give my heart to Jesus. 
I said, Mom, I can't think of a greater joy but to lead you to Jesus. So I went to lay hands on her. I'm not a heavy-handed preacher. I was light-handed. Shut my mom down, you know. But I, I just kind of just, I just touched her head. She goes, whoo, and she just went back and slammed on the floor. My mom was frail, and I thought that she just died. I told one of my leaders, I said, I think she's, I don't, is she dead? I mean, she hit her head on the hardwood floor. Boom. I'm like, oh, mom is dead, you know. 30 minutes, she got off that floor. 30 minutes later, she was moving her arm around. She says, Danny, I've been healed. She had a torn rotator cuff in her arm. She was instantly healed. She said, Dan, something has left me. I felt like something came off of me. She hasn't had a drop of liquor from that day. Instantly delivered. Instantly. Instantly. And I was talking to her the other day. God's restored her life. And she was telling me about the pain and the rejection of being rejected by men. She would give herself to other men just for money, just for alcohol. She talked about the pain. And then God reached in and transitioned her right out of a dark, painful place. And has healed her and is still healing her. My relationship with her is awesome. My girls love her. In fact, she wanted to be renamed. We called her Grandma Linda. She goes, I want a new name. And one of the girls goes, how about Neha? So her new name is Neha. And she loves it. I called her, hi, Neha. She got transitioned. And she called me the other day. And she said, Dan, I feel like I'm in another place of transition. I said, Mom, God is about to take you to another place. And I talked to her about it about the, the, the ingredients of transition. What do you do when, you're tra- when God wants to bring you to a place? How do you get into alignment? Do you understand how God is such a God of alignment? Do you know how so many people in the church are out of alignment? We get out of alignment with our thinking, with our offenses, maybe with personal sin issues, because we get into a dark place and we lose hope. When we lose hope, we begin to lose our pursuit of God. And it is the pursuit of God Staying in a place of peace, staying in a place of rest, and basically hosting the presence of God in your life. You know, his kingdom, the word of God says, number one is a power. Number two, it's righteousness, peace, and joy. I found out that it's nearly impossible to hear the voice of God without these ingredients. When you're living in peace and you're staying in a place of joy, his voice just comes like this. You're living a righteous life, the righteousness of God, he comes and he sets us in order, and then sanctification, justification, justification, he declares us righteous, sanctification is now, I'm going to walk out that righteousness. He delivered me from all of this darkness, so therefore I will live and dwell in his light. I'm going to do things of his kingdom. I'm going to live in his kingdom. And when we begin to understand, it's our responsibility, even when things are on us as far as pressure, like David, to go find Psalm 25 and sit before him and say, God, everything in my life is being shaken right now. Nothing makes sense. My men want to kill me. I feel like I'm about to be demoted. I'm about to lose this thing. I'm about to lose that. But God, I strengthen myself in you because you are faithful. That's what God's looking for is a people who will say, I strengthen myself in Almighty God because you are faithful. The God who fights for me is faithful and he will bring me through. 
David strengthened himself in God. And then God says, here's why the warfare got intense, son. You just inherited Israel. And he put him in Hebron, a place of rest. And then God began to give that young man vision of Zion. God began to speak to him. I believe this. Nobody knows why he went to Jerusalem. Because the king's throne was in Gibeah. Why did he go to Jerusalem? Why did he want to go to Zion? Because that's where Melchizedek, the king of Salem, Jerusalem, Salem, encountered Abraham. And they had covenant together. And David began to get download. This is the place of a future kingdom. Jenny and I, two years ago, we went to Israel together. And I had a chance to walk up the road. It's called Zion's Gate. And I told her, I said, don't let anybody talk. I don't want to be distracted because something's going to happen when we walk up this road. Because I was looking around. I was like, this is the place where Jesus is going to set up his reign for 1,000 years from this piece of contested real estate. This is where his throne will be established for 1,000 years. 1,000 years where he will rule and reign with perfect righteousness, perfect justice, perfect peace for 1,000 years, where the devil and all of his angels will be bound for 1,000 years. You will never hear a voice of anything other than the voice of Jesus for 1,000 years. You will never feel an ounce of depression, discouragement, self-hatred. You will never feel weary, hopeless, discouraged. You will only feel the voice of Abba flowing over you of his love for you, his affection for you, his righteous rule, how perfect it is. It will be 1,000 years of utter perfection. Woo! And I'm standing in that place and I asked our Hebrew guide, who's 73 years of age, had been in four war campaigns, who two years prior to us getting there, because I asked him, I said, Reuben, I said, are, are you a Messianic Jew? Are you a believer? He goes, Daniel, I am Daniel. Call me Daniel. Come here, Daniel. Daniel, come here. Daniel. I love that guy. I said, what, what happened? He said, Daniel, I was walking by my home in Haifa, along the Mediterranean. He goes, and Jesus appeared to me on the beach. I fell to my knees, and he said to me, I am your Messiah. He goes, and I gave my heart to Yeshua. He said, he goes, he goes, Dan, he goes, this is happening all over Israel. They say right now that 200 influential uh, Orthodox rabbis have had this exact encounter. We are in an amazing hour. Stuff is going to the next level. Do you know that they are calculating that 15,000 Muslims are getting saved a month through these visions of Jesus? He's after the sons of Ishmael. He will have his inheritance. He loves people. He loves you. He loves Calvary. And he is bringing this house and some of you out of places of captivity and bondage. Isaiah 61 says that Jesus has been anointed to reach into your prison cell and bring you out. He opens the door of the prison cells. 
One thing about transition, if the enemy can come down, some of you are, are, are discerning it well and you're staying at a place of the kingdom and you're, you're hosting his presence and you're making sure your heart's right before God because you feel like a shift is coming. By the way, today is the 11th day of the month. 11 represents transition. You're starting your fast tomorrow on the 12th day and ending it on the 22nd day. 2.22. Honest and I talk about this all the time. Dutch Sheets had a revelation about 2.22, about the key of the tabernacle of David, that there's keys being given to the church to open up doors. You know that little keys open big doors. This fast is an 11-day fast. On this fast, let me tell you about fasting. It is, it is so much more than you could ever imagine. It is an absolute tool of the kingdom of God. Because here, here, here's God's hand. And he, when we're underneath his hand, the blessings flow. The peace of God is our standard. And, and we, we stay in a place of rest and joy. Do you know that God is a happy God? He is happy. Some of you don't look happy. Some you frowning at me. I said, do you know that he is happy? Because the scripture says, because the joy of the Lord is my strength. It doesn't say, and the joy that the Lord gives. It says, the joy of the Lord is his joy. He's happy. He's full of life. You want to know what the Father looks like? Look at Jesus. Some of you have a really hard time talking to a father because your entire imagery of a father is abusive, angry, disconnected, disciplinarian, lack of, lack of relationship. Jesus says, no, those are all wrong. If you want to know what he looks like, look at me. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I am the exact representation of Abba. If you like what Jesus looked like in the Gospels, that's exactly how the Father looks. Full of mercy and compassion. His love is enduring and everlasting. He's filled with joy. The Bible says that Jesus was filled with the oil of gladness more than all of his companions because he loved righteousness. He was filled with joy. He was filled with life. And I'm telling you, even you might even be in a dark hour right now. Can I tell you, get your joy. Find the joy. Go on a walk in one of these forest wooded areas around here and say, Lord, my heart's been heavy. I have felt oppressed. I have felt weary. But, Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are doing something. You brought a maniac from Denver to come tell us that everything is about to shift, and it is about to shift. The beauty of this fast you're coming into tomorrow is that here's the awesome hand of God. And right here is his kingdom. But we find ourselves, because of turmoil, stress, and the lack of his presence, we're running around like this. Can't hear his voice. You know what the fast does? It brings you right underneath the hand of God. It causes your soul to be submitted to your spirit. I love fasting. I believe that there's a grace to fast. You know what a grace means? It means he's going to give you the ability to do this. God actually made you to eat. I don't know if you know that or not. He made you to eat. And when he calls a fast, it's because he wants to do something special. He wants to bring breakthrough. And he wants to calm you down and cause you to be still so you can discern his voice and to know what to do next. What to do next. The key thing to do right now in this place, lose all your sorrow, all your heaviness, and get your hope back. God's coming, and he will deliver. 
You could be in a horrible marriage. There could be somebody in this church in a terrible situation where it, it is a rough marriage. I mean, there's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm apart from anything other than, you know, I'm talking about just no connection. Uh, maybe you're not getting along. I'm not talking about abuse or sexual problems. I'm just talking about you're not happy. God can come in in that moment and resurrect a, a dead marriage. I've seen him do it on so many occasions. You all have seen him do it on several occasions. He can do anything and everything at any moment because he's God. Amen. He can come in and bring hope. So the first thing you need to do is get rid of your sorrow and get your joy back because God is coming with answers. Amen. Lose offense if you feel offended towards somebody in this church, towards leadership, towards a spouse, towards your children, towards God. Lay down your fence because it is a stumbling block and it will hinder you and cause delay. You must strengthen yourself in the Lord. Basically, you must find the oil of his presence. There's you. We must be a Matthew 25 people where five had oil. We must be the five that are getting the oil of his presence. We must. We must get the oil of his presence because without it, your machinery will not work without oil. You have to get oil. There is a new season that needs you in it. Second Samuel chapter 5. David had come out of his seven years of preparation in Hebrew. He was a mighty man of God. God had captured his full heart. He was a man of rest. Eleven tribes came to him and said, David, we've pursued you. We've tried to kill you. We've chased you in and out of caves. Now we would like for you to come lead us. We recognize you are our king and we need you to come and lead us into victory. He prayed, and the Lord says, Son, it is time. I want you to go to Zion, to the hill of the Lord, and I want you to establish your throne. I love this. And he's making his way. All the people are with him. He no longer is a king of one tribe. He's a king of all of them. And he's making his way up, the king's procession coming in, and they're on Zion. There's a place called it's a high place. You can actually see it. Here's the old city of Jerusalem. And right outside of the walls of the city is a, uh, an incline, and it's a, it's a high place called Zion, and it's water-fed. In fact, this time, I didn't get the chance to do it last time, this time we were able to go up the water shaft. Pretty awesome. David comes into Zion, and here the Jebusites are inside of Zion. They are in this stronghold. They were to be driven out years earlier by Israel's invasion of the promised land. But they were not driven out. They were left to remain. So here are the Jebusites in this high place. David is coming in to the city, and the Jebusites yell out at him, David, you will not come into the stronghold of Zion. You will not have this city. The lame and the blind among us are going to repel you. Basically, that man was saying, the weakest among us will prevent you from coming in. You have no hope. You cannot come into your destiny. And I love this. David had come into a place of rest. No longer was he going to get frustrated because he knew God was faithful. I could just see him leaning back. Bible says, nevertheless, David took the stronghold. You can mock me, say what you want. It's mine. Joab gets a fire in his heart. He says, I want to go up the water shaft, king. I don't know if I'm going to come out alive but you're God's man, and I want to fight for you because he had to redeem himself. He was a knucklehead back in Hebrew. 
Don't be a knucklehead. He wanted to redeem himself because he fought against the king's plans by the killing of Abner. So here's Joab going, man, I want to redeem myself. I want to get, I want to get this city for my king. And so David made a promise, whoever does this. And so Joab goes right up this water shaft with no hope to find air in this water shaft. He had no idea where the breathing points of this water shaft was. He had no idea what he was getting himself into. But this man's man, you know the guys running with David were psychos, giant killers, maniacs. Guys jumping down on snowy days and killing tigers, lions. Killing six-fingered Egyptians. Slaying 600 men. One guy. You guys are nuts. And so when they said to David, we're going to kill you, it was a legitimate threat. <laughs> These guys were, were men, gladiators, killers. Joab finds his way, gets that water shaft sneaks through the stronghold and opens the door and David takes his destiny. Nothing will keep you out of your destiny. When God says you will have something, you will have it. I'm talking about everything under the sun that God needs you. There's a season that needs you. Do you hear me? There's a breakthrough with your name on it. There's a workplace for all the singles here. There is a husband or a wife waiting for you. Transition. Transition. And every single goes, hey, you know. God wants to give you a gift in his right timing. God wanted my wife and I to have a certain ministry. And so we were renting this home for quite some time. I'm aware of the time. I'm moving quick. We were renting this home, and we wanted to own a home, but it was impossible for us because the real estate in Colorado is astronomically expensive. And, um, in fact, the house we were renting was 810 square feet, built in 1914, two-bedroom, one-bath. That house sold. My landlord sold it for $365,000 on a tiny lot. This is what we were up against. I always had a desire to live in the very place we're living right now, the Denver's Tech Center. It's beautiful. The, the, the land is blessed. The people that owned it were born-again, spirit-filled Christians. They're worth probably $700 million when they sold the Denver Tech Center to be developed. The land is blessed. It's like the presence of the Lord is in that community. And I felt like God wanted us to live there, but it's so expensive. And so the Lord spoke to me in 2004. I'm about to move you out of this rental situation. We looked at homes. My wife and I, we found joy in going and looking at homes. I put astronomical offers. I'd walk into a million-dollar home and offer them $100,000 just to say, maybe they'll do it. You never know, you know. I did the, we did that all the time. I made so many people so mad. Love your home. Would you take $100,000 for this house? I'm a servant to the Lord Almighty. Get out of my house, you know. Nope, yeah, no favor there, Jenny. Probably should move on real quick there. No favor. Lord spoke to me to go on a fast. I go on a fast. This is the closing of 2004, middle of the fast. The Lord speaks to me to sow, to take all the, our down payment money that we had and, we, and put it into a certain ministry. So we gave, I think it was $2,000, we gave it to a certain ministry that didn't need our money, but God said to do it. We did it, and out of nowhere, and just like this, a shift happens. I get an email about this house 
that we now live in, it showed up so quickly at an affordable price that we couldn't figure out why it was so affordable. We go there, walk in the door. We're with the real estate agent. He says, by the way, on the way over here, I felt led in my heart to give you all of my commission for this home. And I said, man, I feel led of the Lord to receive that. That's great, you know. So I'm like, wow. So we walk in there, and the house was a rental home. It was very, very clean, but it was dated. And so the original homeowners, they were going through a, a, to a time they need to get rid of this house. They said, we will also give you $10,000 at closing to fix up the home. So there's $15,000. We move into this house, and all of a sudden, the Lord started giving us and blessing us. And then, so this, we moved into that house in 2005, and then we find out the equity that has just now been in that home. It, it was unbelievable off of one seed. And then, two years later, God says, now I want you to start a church. I'm going to put you in your living room, and I'm going to fill this place with people, and this house you're living in, you had to be in this house because it has a concrete family room. And then our kitchen was a balcony. And uh, when we have a lot of people show up, we put them up there in the balcony. I'd reference those on the balcony. It's good to have you tonight, you know, and I would reference that. And the Lord says, son, when I gave you this home, I gave you this home to bless you, but I also gave it to you for my kingdom. We had a lot of people get saved in the house, get healed in that house, and delivered in that house because that new season for me of blessing became a blessing for God's kingdom. When God repositions you with a new ministry assignment or a new job assignment or a new, a new relationship as far as a husband or a wife or whatever he wants to transition you into or a new city, I want you to know something about transition. There's times that it doesn't make sense. You've got to turn off people that have a lack of faith. I always say this, well, I'm just leaning on the wisdom. No, you're not. That's a lack of faith. God's given us wisdom for every day. But when you need supernatural, you need God. Supernatural doesn't require your wisdom because your wisdom then becomes foolishness because you don't understand the mind of God. You're thinking, well, I can't move into this new season because I don't have last season paid for. God says, that's foolishness to me. Read Job. Hey, Job, where were you at at the foundations of the earth being laid? Don't bring your wisdom up before me. You don't know what I'm capable of doing. I like Otis told me the other day, he said that she goes, you know, want to know something? Because there's two kinds of peace. There's the peace that abides upon us because he is the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. He lives inside of you and I, and we are filled with peace. There's another piece that comes on seasons. When you're stepping into a new place, we're always waiting. Well, I'm looking for peace. No, peace is looking for you to make a move, and then peace comes. Peace, at this point, becomes a great follower. When I say yes to God, God says you do this regardless of how it looks. Well, God, I ain't got no money. You do it. When God spoke to us to start our church and to leave my salary at that job, we had no money. We had $13,000 in an account. God says, you will live off of this, and I will pay you back. So I had to go tell my wife. I said, honey, we're going to um, live off of your, um, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna live off that account she got from, um, you know. She's like, my wife is very savvy with finances, and she's a very wise woman. But she's learned to know that I, I hear from God. And she goes, you know what, this is on you. <laughs> If this whole thing falls apart, it's on you. you got to feed me and feed these girls, so whatever. You're going to have my retirement account. I said, God wants us to use that retirement account. We used that retirement account for a few months, and then all of a sudden we started a church with eight people. 
out of that eight people, God brought in over $4,500 a month to afford this life. I thought I was going to lose everything. God says you will lose nothing because you did what I told you to do, and it made no sense. I wanted to go out and get a secular job. God says, no, you will work on your knees. You will pray and you will fast. That's how you're going to swing a hammer, son. Oh, God, I could go get a painting job. I, I could get a couple. You can do that if you want, but I will take all of the money away from faith support from you. You will make what I want you to make and not a dime more. You can work your peaches off. You can go out and work and labor and do that, or you can stay home and pray and fast and be with your family, and I will provide everything for you. And he did. If God calls you into a new season, it does not make sense to our man, earthly wisdom. But it's his plan. Here we go. It's almost 1015. I've got to read one scripture to you, and then I'm going to make a pronouncement over you. If you need an altar call today, I feel like in the second service, God's going to deliver some people of some things. If you need that, then I would encourage you to stay. Amen? I'm going to just lay hands on people and declare new life. Here's a scripture that really came in my spirit. Isaiah 43, verse 15. I am the Lord. I am your Holy One. I am the creator of Israel. I am your king. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brought forth those chariots that pursued you and that horse, the army and its power. He said, look, they lie together and they shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. He is saying the very thing that pursued you, that mocked you, that oppressed you, that ran you down. Look behind you. They're in a heap and they will not recover. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing, and it right now is springing forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. For those of you that are in a desert, he said, I'm going to make a river for you. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I give drink to my people, my chosen ones. I have, I have a people that I have formed for, my, for myself, and I shall declare my praise. I heard this strong in that hotel room. Tell the people they have got to forget the former things and the things of old. God's doing a new thing. What he did in last season, he's doing a new thing now. But you must forget last season's prison, last season's pain, last season's rejection, and you must forgive people that have hurt you. There, there, is, there is like a leprosy in the body of Christ of offense. People not forgiving past spouses, people not forgiving past pastors, past seasons. I want you to know something. The Bible is very clear. He said this. If you cannot forgive men that have trespassed against you, I cannot forgive you. Along with unforgiveness comes torment. And people are tormented because they will not forgive. The man that would not forgive the man that owed him a debt, he was just greatly forgiven by the king of his great debt. That he went and found another servant that owed him hardly anything. And he held him. He put him in prison until he could pay that debt. The king heard about this, went and got that unfaithful servant. He stood before him. He said, turn him over to the tormentors. When you live in unforgiveness, you live underneath torment. I have family members that are tormented by unforgiveness. 
people that I know that can't leave seasons because of torment, because of unforgiveness. I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here. Oh, I did so good. I'm proud of myself. Isaiah 54. Why don't you stand to your feet? Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, declares the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. You're going to expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither will you be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and you will, you will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. The Bible says in the next few verses, he has called you like the one that's been forsaken, and now he is releasing hope. Calvary Church, this entire place is moving into a new season. A man that I considered a mentor, in fact, when I was seven years of age, I walked up to him. I said, Pastor Cummings, when I, when I get older, I want to be a preacher just like you. He pastored a great church where I live, second largest church in Colorado, Sims of God Church. He was there for year, year, years after years after years. So the board loved him. The people loved him. The last two years of, his, of him being their pastor, he began to get into some tough times. There looked to be gray areas, and the board turned their heart against him. And they asked him to step down from being the pastor of this great church. He left that church with great wounds and great pain in his heart. I ran into him at a district council sometime later. I said, Pastor, how are you doing? He said, Dan, I got a story for you. He said, for quite some time, God was trying to get my attention about shifting gears. I didn't want to leave the pastoring position because of the money and because of the my wife just, it was just was financial blessing here. But the Lord was pulling on me to go to the nations to leave, and I didn't. So the Lord had to force me out. He said, now I'm traveling all over the world, strengthening missionaries and raising money for missions, for the mission field. He goes, Dan, I have never been more alive in my entire life. What, meant, what looked to be a terrible situation turned out to be my new assignment. I found life in my new assignment. I found life in that place. I want to encourage you, there's a new assignment. For some of you that are fantastic in faith, you just know how to shift seasons. Some of you may need to get strong-armed a little bit. God's going to bend you a little bit more to say, discern, you're being strong-headed. I'm trying to move you into a new place. I'm trying to move you into a new place. God wants to transition this house. This house is meant to host the presence of the Lord at a high level. 
I know that for a fact that the former board members, I don't know who, would, who they all are, but they felt that Calvary Church had a destiny. They felt that this house was host to, a, a place to host revival. They felt it because that's true. That's exactly what's going to happen. Would you lift up your hands? In the name of Jesus, I declare a fresh wind of God to come over this house, over every situation, over every prison cell, over every dark, every dark situation. I declare life in Jesus' name. I declare peace. I command offense to go, bitterness to go, depression to go. And I declare this fast will be 11 days of heaven coming down upon your people. Refresh. I declare blessing over prayer lives. I declare tomorrow is a new day. I declare, Lord, as they go on this fast, you're going to begin to speak to their hearts. 11 days of transition. In Jesus' name. told you. Wow. I want to just uh, invite you to do something that may, that I know some people do here. They go to both services. And uh, no, no, don't, no guilt, no manipulation, but I think the Holy Spirit speaking to, to some people and God wants you to be here for the second service. And listen to that voice. Uh, and respond because God we're going to be taking some more time to pray at the end of the second service so I want to just let you know that so uh, it's 1020 right now we're going to go ahead and uh, get ready for the 1030 church here this morning and uh, thank you Dan so much appreciate you being obedient so glad that you were here this morning father thank you for this word that we received May we be good stewards, Lord, of what we just received, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, that that we don't have to be afraid of transition, Lord. I, I pray, Father, that we would embrace, God, what you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. I thank you in Jesus' name. We say amen. Amen. God bless you guys.